Okay. All right, so I'm going to read you an article from a soldier. Hell week is generally considered the hardest week of the hardest military training in the world. It is a five-day crucible that all Navy SEALs have to go through. I think I may have slept a total of two or three hours over the course of the entire week, which is true. They probably sleep four hours in six days, okay? Um, the principle has always been you want to get as close to simulating combat as possible to see who might fold under that pressure. Have you ever heard of Navy SEALs before? Have you ever heard of Hell Week before? Have you? Okay. Yeah. The first night you are running 20 or 30 miles, parts of it pulling boats or carrying logs. It is brutally physical with multiple phases that, pro that progress. The beginnings of these evolutions are where you lose most people. So the beginning of all this training is when a lot of people quit. From the very start, you are sandy and wet, and you basically stay wet for the entire five days. Some say it takes four years out of your life. I also have a vivid memory of the second day, sometime around four in the morning. The instructor made me lie down in the cold cement, took a hose, and misted me with freezing water. By the way, this is California, so it's cold. This went on about an hour and a half. It's half an hour or an hour. The instru this instructor didn't like me for whatever reason. Sometimes the instructor have it out for you for a good reason, like if they want you to succeed or just because they just don't like you. I started feeling my core temperature going down. I started to shiver and shiver. My body was doing everything it could to generate heat. I eventually passed out. They took my core temperature. Any, anybody, what's your normal temperature? What should it be normally? At what temperature? 98.2. 98.2. Good job. They took my core temperature and apparently it was 88.9 degrees. That is pretty much serious place for your internal temperature to be. So there he was passed out with hypo, being hypothermic. At one point they started to activate him and by getting him warm again. Not just drying him off, they throw you in a hot tub to get your core temperature back up. It took him almost 20 minutes to get him back to life. He was still wet and he got out of the hot tub, nothing but athletic shorts. They towel him off and hand him a nice pair of dry clothes. Climaflage, you know, the uniform. And then he's there, I, at first, uh, it was the first time I had felt anything warm for a dry in ages. It felt like heaven in my hands. I just wanted to stand there holding it and try to absorb the heat from it. They hand me these beautiful dry clothes and tell me, put them on in the ocean, which is the Pacific Ocean. If you've ever been to the Pacific Ocean, it's freezing and it's six in the morning, it's bad. They hand me these beautiful, or uh, I just stared at them for, and for the first time I wondered if I really wanted to be there. It was the only time I really questioned myself on that. I took a moment, thought, put them on, and then marched into the ocean. Guys, just like a soldier needs to know what he's getting, some, getting himself into when he wants to become a Navy SEAL. Same thing as followers. Same thing as those who want to become followers of Christ. You need to know what it really means to become a disciple of Christ before you decide for Christ. And that's where we are at Matthew chapter 10. Let's begin reading verse 32. Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I come to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. 
and a man's enemy will be the members of his household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. And he, who's, and he who has found his life will lose it. And he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. We've been discussing the instructions that Jesus gave the twelve. He's telling, he, he's giving, telling them, go out and preach. And he's also telling them the meaning of discipleship. Last Wednesday, we talked with Brennan explained what that was. And it was basically fearing God rather than men. Remember Brandon's message last week where if you're going to fear somebody, fear the one who can destroy your body and soul. Not the one that can just destroy your body. If you're going to fear, fear God. Don't fear man. Today we will see more of what it really truly means to be a follower of Christ in the verses that we just discussed. So for those that take your notes, these are, this is the, uh, the outline, the meaning of discipleship. And we're going to go over not denying Christ, verses 32 to 33. Understanding the commission of Christ, verses 34 to 36. And being worthy of Christ, verses 37 to 39. So as we read and study and meditate and learn about God's word today, let us know that the main idea is we're learning about the meaning of discipleship. What does it truly mean to be a follower of Christ? Amen? The thing, well, I'll let you finish off. I'm going to take a water break. Where are you guys at? B, understanding the commission of Christ. Oh, never mind. Bless you. Anybody need more time? Okay. <laughs> and as we and as we uh, go into the verses, I'll I'll reiterate the the points and then go ahead and Next slide is a theme. No theme. Okay. <laughs> those who proclaim Christ, those who proclaim Christ unashamed, understand his mission and love him over all things is worthy of him. Okay. Those who proclaim Christ unashamed, understand his mission and love him over all things is worthy of him. One more time. Those who proclaim Christ unashamed understand his mission and love him and love him over all things is worthy of him. So let's begin with our first point of what it means to be a true disciple. If you're a true disciple of Christ, you will not deny Christ. Verse 32. Therefore, who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before the Father who is in heaven. Everyone. Who is this everyone here? Everyone obviously means a believer, right? A believer can only confess God amongst anybody because he, 
the Holy Spirit gives him the strength to do so. Okay? Confess. To profess in a manner accessible to or observable by the public. Alright? You want to confess it. You want to show it. Alright? And then when it says here, Therefore, anyone, everyone who confesses me before men, that men right there, is it just males? Or is it a term for everyone? Everyone. How many of you thought it, when you read that the first time it was only to, towards males, towards guys? Be honest. All right. There's, okay, good. When it says men here, it's, it's encompassing males and females, women, men, children, everyone. Okay. Confess Jesus to everyone. We are to proclaim the good news of God before anyone. Everyone is game. All right. Everyone. We're not ashamed. We cannot be ashamed of the gospel. You know who wasn't, who wasn't ashamed of the gospel? Paul, you know why I know? Because he wrote it. Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Don't be ashamed of Christ. If you're a disciple of Christ, you will not deny him before men. You will want to confess him before men. That's another sign that you are a disciple of Christ. You just can't keep this good news inside of you. Something has to, something urges you from the inside to either A, Think about, hey, I, I think i got to present the gospel to this person. Right? The, the conscience, the Holy Spirit in, uh, leading you to do so. Convicting you to do so. If you're a true believer in Christ, sharing the gospel, confessing Jesus before others just comes natural. Now, for some it does come natural because they have a gift, but it's, an, it's, it's a responsibility that you bear that you want to share the gospel. You want to tell others about the good news of Jesus. Amen? Verse 33, but whoever denies me before men, meaning before anyone, I will also deny him before my father who is in heaven. The Greek here to deny is to acknowledge. For whoever does not acknowledge me before men, to refuse or recognize, right? Those that deny Christ, they will be denied before the father. Now, when you read this, you're like, in what context are we talking about denying Christ, right? How many of you know that? A lot of us deny Christ all the time. <gasps> yes. There's two contexts here that we're going to look at. Persecution versus the government denying Jesus Christ in a government setting or denying Christ in our everyday life, right? When you fail to witness to somebody, when you know that you got to share the gospel and you decide to ignore that, is that denying Christ? Yeah, it is. How about when you... Try to go unnoticed as a believer. You're like a CIA operative Christian where you don't want anybody to know that you're a believer. Are you denying Christ there? Yes. Yes, you are. What about with your actions? Do we deny Christ with our actions? Yes. Sometimes with profane language, living worldly lives. That's denying Christ. Guys, there's one thing in practicing this and there's one thing in sinning in this what does that mean we all sin we're, that's why jesus saved us right just because we come to christ doesn't mean that we're not going to sin we're going to we're not going to stop sinning we sin but we don't practice sin like before if this happens to you all of a sudden and you know you feel convicted you repent and you move on that's okay but if this is not even in your mind if this is not even happening where you just don't care the way you're living your life the way you speak the way you act that you don't feel that you're an ambassador of Christ. 
And that just like convicts you. And it's like, you don't, you don't care to go to church. You don't care to share the gospel. You don't care to worship God. You don't care about any of this. Then maybe you're not in Christ. Okay? Practicing versus sinning. Practicing sin versus sinning. Very different. If you practice sin, if that, if that characterizes you, if that's who you are, the Bible says you might not be in Christ. But if you sin, obviously, and repent and want to be better, it just means that you're a human. You're a believer that is a sinner because we all sin, that but want to do better. Okay? Let's remember Peter. Remember Peter? Right? He was a believer. Right? Who do you say I am? You are the Christ, the Son of the, the, Son of the living God. Matthew 16, 18. Right? You are the rock. Right? And what happens? What did Peter do? Three times. He denied Christ, man. Hey, you talk like him. Nah, I don't know him. Man, you, you, I saw you with him. Nah, I don't know who he is. Yeah, yes, yes, you are. And he curses people. I said, I don't know. And he says a bad word or something. And you hear the rooster crow. He denied him. But guess what? What did he do? He cried. He repented. He was like, what did I just do? And I'll tell you what, did he ever do it again? What were, what were we talking about in 1 Peter in our Sunday school? What kind of death did Peter suffer? How, was, how did he die? Nice in his bed, in peace and quiet, in his sleep? How did he die? He was crucified. How? Upside, Upside down. And who was crucified before him? First, his wife. His wife, he saw his wife be crucified, and then he was crucified. That tells you. Bad moment for Peter. But he believed in Jesus, and he repented from his sin. Doesn't mean that he wasn't a believer at that moment. It just means that he was, you know, had a bad he, he was scared. Humans can be scared of what they were doing to Jesus. Beating him in front of a tribunal without a fair, fair cause. Yeah. But did, he, did he do it again? So the context of these statements can be governed persecution, right? Look at verse 21 in Matthew 10. We, we, we read this last, last time. He said, Brother will betray brother to death, and a father, his child, and children will rise up against parents and cause them to, put, to be put to death. In what? Circumstances, can you ever think of a parent putting somebody else to death? Or a family member putting else to death? Just the government officials coming and saying, hey, who's a believer here? Oh yeah, my son, he's a believer. I told him not to, but he is. And then they give you towards to put you to death, right? That could be a context of what they're talking about here. If we read and continue the context of what the instructions are that he's telling his disciples. Or it also can be, since they're using, since Matthew's using future tense words, it can be judgment day, Right? It could be Judgment Day, where those that rejected Christ, he will reject them before the Father. Ain't Judgment Day. Right? So if you're a believer in Christ, you don't have to worry about that because you know that because he lives in you, because the Holy Spirit dwells in you, he's going to give you the power and he's going to sustain you and you won't deny him. You know why I know this? Because Brandon said it. And I trust Brandon. You know why I know this? Turn your Bibles to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. 
What does it say? My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give eternal life to them. What does he give to them? What does he give? Eternal life. And they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. See, God promises us that. He not only saves us, guys, but he promises us that he will maintain us, and we will never be lost if we're truly saved. 2 Timothy 2.12, if we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. 1 John 2, verse 23, whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. Say, so none of us here, guys, can say that you've experienced this type of government persecution where you or your family is literally shot or you're, you're, you're fired from your job because of Christianity. Very few people here can say that. We live in America where that has not happened here yet. Okay? That's it. And, and we thank God for that. Amen? But what, what, in what ways can you prepare yourself? In what ways can you start practicing and showing your faith and showing who you are to the world and not being an undercover Christian? Well... There are a lot of things that the Bible says that is very contradicting to the world, right? Because remember, we're humans, right? We know better than God. We wanted the apple. God, you don't know what you're doing. I'm going to eat that apple. Of course we are. God, what do you mean the marriage is between a male and a female? No, it's whoever you want, whoever it is. No, the Bible is clear with certain situations. For example, have you heard of the term universalism? Where everyone thinks, oh, you know, everyone is going to go to heaven. It's like all the religions are just like a road that like... They all lead to heaven. That's not true and that's not biblical. Only Jesus leads to heaven. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to the Father except through Him. What happens to all the other religions in the world? Sorry, not going to happen. How can you say that? Because the Bible says so. Right? That's not popular. Standing firm on that, you're going to get enemies. You're, you're going to get people that are not going to like you. You might lose your job. You might lose a friend. Defending the sanctity of life. Believing that a baby is a baby at conception. That's very unpopular today. To say that you would say, I, I think that, you know, that's, it's, it's, it's a lie from the beginning because God says it in his word in Psalms. From the womb I created you, I knew you. To stand on that truth, you're going to get people to looking at you and probably lose friendships and probably get fired and probably for these things. What about standing firm on biblical grounds of sexuality? You're going to get the look. If you don't believe what the traditional marriage is supposed to be, or a male is a male and a female is a female, and there's no ifs or ands or buts or betweens. These are things that are clear in the Bible that we should stand firm on, that are unpopular to the world, that you will be persecuted for these things, whether it be losing friendships, whether it be losing co-workers, whether it be getting fired. You can start practicing with these things. And you know, not denying Christ and not denying his message or his word. Is it going to be easy? No. But who gives you the strength? Who gives you the strength? God does. Isn't that great? He doesn't give us the instruction or the commandment, but he also gives us the way to follow that commandment and instruction. Let's continue. Another meaning, what it means to be a disciple, right? Understanding the commission of Christ. Let's read verse 34. Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. 
I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. What do you mean? See, for the Jew listening to this, the Messiah was going to bring peace. Peace from what? Remember we talked about this, that Jesus did not come to save a natural kingdom, but to save in a spiritual kingdom, right? The Jews were like, spiritual kingdom? No, no, no. We have these Romans, and they were oppressing us. Save us from them. Give us the peace that we need from them. And he's saying, I did not come to bring peace. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. You know what he's saying there? The message that he brings of peace is going to bring conflict. What does that mean? The thought that the long-awaited Messiah, because these people knew the Messiah. They, they were waiting for the Messiah. And then... He, a lot of them start believing in the Messiah. They're like, oh man, look at those signs, the wonders, the miracles. Yeah, he's talking about a spiritual kingdom, but eh, it, it's also going to be a natural kingdom somewhere. And then this, some of his disciples might have been, well, if I stick with this guy for a long time, he'll, got, he'll give me like a nice place in his kingdom where he can give me a nice post, right? Or a nice a ruler or a leadership position. And when he says this, they're like, what do you mean? I thought that that's what you came for, that you were going to bring peace. But now you're saying you bring a sword. What's the sword? What's, what's the sword? The sword is the gospel. The fact that you are not good enough to save yourself. You know how people take offense to that? What do you mean I'm not good enough? What do you mean I'm not good? Of course, I'm, I'm, I'm such a great person. I don't lie. I don't steal. You know, I can save myself. Jesus is like, no. And, and, who's, and who's he always going after? The Pharisees, right? You hypocrites. You brutal vipers. That message that you can't save yourself, because what do humans do? What do we do? We think that we can we control our lives, we control our destiny, we control our salvation. Christianity is the only religion that says that you can't earn your way to heaven. Amen. So this message where it's like, hold on a second. Not only I cannot save myself, but now to, to be saved, I gotta I gotta bow my knee. I got to call out to a savior to save me because I can't save myself. And then I have to become a slave to the savior and do what he says. I'm not going to be God in my life. I'm not going to be in control in my life. You think that's a popular? You think that's popular? It's not popular. And that's the sword that Jesus is talking about. He's not talking about literally little war. He's talking about that disagreement that you were going to have because of the gospel, because of the message. Also, this, this also right here, this verse, do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. That obliterates those who tell you, hey, come to Jesus. You know, your life is going to be better. Yeah, that's how you, I say a prayer and just come to church and your life is going to change and everything's going to, you're going to have health and wealth and you're going to prosper. Make a commitment to Jesus. Give your life to Jesus. They don't preach the whole gospel. You think they're going to preach these verses? <laughs> no. They're going to preach the Jesus that loves. Amen. But what about the, the Jesus that's, that's holy and that's just? Right? So, some of you might think, well, hold on a second, Alejandro. I thought that Jesus was the Prince of Peace. I've heard that before. He's the Prince of Peace. So, why is Jesus saying that he didn't come to bring peace? Is, is that a good question to ask? Yeah, that's a good question, right? 
He's a prince of peace because he's that peace that he's talking about is the peace that we have with our creator. He makes us have peace with God. He's the prince of peace that we can go before God through him. He made us right with God. That's the peace. That's the prince of peace that he's talking about. The message of how the peace is reached is what's going to cause the conflict. What's the conflict? What do you mean Jesus is the only way? What do you mean that I have to repent? And do, and, and I, but what I do is, it feels right. Why do I have to change? Why, what do you mean that I have to bow my knee to Jesus? All these objections create animosity between those who do not want to believe in the true message of the gospel. The Prince of Peace came to give us peace with the Father. But the message of how to get that peace is the sword, is the conflict, is what people don't like. Verse 35, For I came to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be the members of his household. And this message, the gospel message, believe it or not, guys, can be divisive in a family. It could. Think about it. We'll take it to an extreme case. If you're a devout Muslim, and your child turns to Christianity, you think that's going to be well accepted? That's not going to be well accepted. Right? And that's an extreme case. But we don't have to go to that extreme. Maybe you were raised Catholic. Maybe you were raised on a different type of Christianity. Right? And then you really come to Christ and you really bow your knee and you really repent. And guess what? Maybe you come, your, par- your parents were atheists and you, and you believe in Christ. Right? Some people are disowned by their parents for coming to Christ. It's funny. It's not like they don't care. Like They could be a drug addict, alcoholic. You know, living a life in the street. Oh, come, you know, I'll always be there for you. But you claim Christ, eh, don't want to talk to you anymore. Because you believe in all of what the Bible says. And you're, you're close-minded and, you, and you, don't, you, you, you don't love how you're supposed to love. It happens. Because Jesus said it. Within your own family, this can happen. I remember when my parents became believers... They came from Catholicism, right? I remember my grandma and all my aunts and uncles making fun of them, making fun of us, because, you know, we grew up Catholic. And if you're Latin, Catholicism is what you do, is what you know. And to go against that, it's like, big, it's a big deal. You just, just don't do it. And it was ridicule and within your own family. And you would think, man, this is a safe place. You, they would think that my mom and my dad went from a life of darkness, of all the things you can think of, to a light of light. And you still, and, you, and they're still saying, no, 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 you got to stick to what you know. Those, those crazy people, those crazy people, Jesus just transformed your son and your daughter for, for good. And you don't see that. You're blind, blinded to the fact that if it's your way, it has to work in your mind because you know better than God. Martin Luther stated, if our gospel were received in peace, it would not be the true gospel. Last part of the meaning of discipleship. Being worthy of Christ. What does this mean? Verse 37. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. 
In Luke, let's turn to Luke chapter 14, verse 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. So this is the parallel passage, Luke, Matthew. But Matthew captures the idiom of the time, all right? It's basically an expression of loyalty, of choice. Jesus is not telling you, hate your father or your mother or, or your children over me. No, he's saying... You can love them, but don't you ever love them over me. That's what Jesus is saying, okay? It's an idiom of the time. You know what an idiom is? Like a saying, okay? Where you would say such a drastic thing like that. Basically, Jesus here in these verses, he takes to what's more valuable to man. What's more valuable to man than himself and his life? And what's the next thing a man would love mostly in this world? His family. So in verses 37, 38, and 39, he's going straight to the core of what do you care about the most? You care about your family and you care about yourself. And he's saying, if you love your family more than me, you're not worthy of me. And then we're going to look later on. If you don't take up your cross and follow me, you're not worthy of me, which is your own life. Okay? Only God can have our first place. Deuteronomy. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Anybody know the theme for Deuteronomy? How dare you? Deuteronomy? Anybody? Second law, yes. Here's where Moses repeats the law that he gave. Okay? And Deuteronomy 6, verse 5. Let's all read it together. One, two, three. You shall love the Lord... Hold on, hold on, hold on. Well, Y'all can read, okay? Let's, let's do it at the same time. One, two, three. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. He is number one in your life. How, what does that look like? Well, do I come to Christ and maybe jeopardize the relationship that I have with my mom and dad? Jesus is telling you, yes. You love him more. Let God take care of the rest. But if you don't come to Christ because you're afraid that your parents will never talk to you again, that's when he's saying, you don't do that. Don't love your parents more than me. Love me more. Put me first. Love me with all your might. Let me take care of the rest. You know how many people come to Christ in those circumstances? Through your lifestyle, through your actions. An atheist parent or a parent that's an unbeliever can come to Christ with your actions, just like we talked about in 2 Peter, remember? The, the, the wife submitting to her unruly or disobedient husband, that she would be the, the opportunity for the gospel. Yeah. 
He is basically saying that living the life of a disciple will not be easy. You will have to leave a lot behind, but do not worry. You will be worthy before him. Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 8. But whatever things were gained to me, Paul says, those things I have counted as a loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, who for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubberish, or rubbish, so that I may gain Christ. For Paul, all his accolades, all who he was, Hebrew of Hebrews, Pharisee of Pharisees, teacher of the law, he was the next best thing that to come for Judaism. He all that he, he considers rubbish. So that he may gain Christ. Verse 38. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. What does this mean? He who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. Carry the cross, the Greek, to deny oneself with lethal determination, conceived as picking up or carrying a wooden being to one's own execution. Guys, the reader, the Jews, they knew what crosses were. And Jesus had not been crucified yet when he was saying these things. Haven't you ever thought of that? I'm saying, take up your cross and follow me. Sometimes we think, oh, only Jesus was crucified in the entire history of the world. No, crucifixion was common in the Roman Empire. That was a form of their punishment. That's like saying today, death row. It's part of our culture. Crucifixion is part of our culture. In fact, a couple of years before Jesus is saying this, a man named Judas, who was a zealot, remember the zealots? Remember when Jesus is choosing one of his 12? The zealots are basically those people who want to go against the government and against oppression. He got a, a, a followers. More than 2,000 followers. And guess what they did? War or battle against the Roman Empire for their oppression. And guess what? The Roman Empire just trampled over them. An uprising that was nothing. And guess what the Roman Empire did? They crucified over 2,000 Jews. And guess where they put the crosses? All over Galilee. Where Jesus is preaching. So think about it. Put yourself in this situation where Jesus is telling the disciples that saw all those 2,000 fellow. It could have been a, a family member. It could have been a, 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 a friend crucified by the Romans with all the pain and suffering that they were going through. And Jesus is saying, to be a follower of mine, you have to carry your cross and follow me. <laughs> what a way to evangelize, huh? What a way to bring people to Christ. But guess what? If Jesus himself is proclaiming his gospel this way, who are we not to? Have you ever heard the gospel according to Jesus? Have you ever read it by John MacArthur? This is the gospel that Jesus preached. This is the gospel that we are to preach. Not an easy, fake one. The true gospel. Love and justice. Think about, the, think about this, and he who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Think about when Jesus is actually dying and his disciples are seeing that. And they're remembering, oh, this is what it means to, to follow to death. 
to be obedient to death. If we are believers in Christ, we become slaves. We die to our wants and desires, and our life is to please the master. John MacArthur writes, No matter how terrible they may be, the hardships and tragedies of human living that often befell Christians are not the crosses of which Jesus speaks. Cruel spouse, rebellious child, a debilitating or terminal illness, the loss of a job, destruction of a house by a tornado or flood, may strongly test a believer's faith, but they are not crosses. That's not a cross. Those are just trials. What is a cross? He says, the cross is the willing sacrifice of every, everything one has, including life for the sake of Christ. It is something that, like the Lord himself, a believer must take on himself when it is thrust upon him by the unbelieving world because of relationship with God. Guys, this is, the cross is to deny yourself, even your life for Christ. That is what taking the cross is. You want me to put it in application? You want me to put it in, 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 in a practical way? Every time you do not serve God's kingdom, you're serving your own. And when you serve your own kingdom, you're not taking up the cross. What does that mean? Every single trial and tribulation that the Lord provides for you and has you live, He's sovereign. He knows more than you. So when you pray the trial away, you don't want to carry your cross. You want what you want because you think you know better because you think that you're God. We think that we're God. Carrying your cross is anything that comes through your way. You don't doubt God. You embrace it. Because he's your master. And he knows better what you need than yourself. He knows better than what we need than ourselves. We don't thank God for the actual trial. We thank God for what God is doing in our lives because of the trial. Perseverance, character, maturity. You know why you need to do all these things? So you can be a better ambassador of Christ. So the gospel message can be preached, can be shared, and you can and people can see it not only by words but by your actions. At the end of the day, we live our lives to glorify God. It's not about us; it's about Him. And we can get straight away very, very easily. Every time you think that you know more than what God has for you, a, dis a disciple of Christ carries his cross, kills all his desires, and wants to please the Father, and wants to please his Master. The quicker you learn that in life, the quicker everything will see. Because like Brandon was saying, you see God in a view of sovereignty, holiness, and power. Hey, but guess what? It's a battle. It happens to me all the time. It's going to happen to you all the time. It's a constant battle in our minds that we have to renew our minds. Whose kingdom are we serving? His or mine? Last verse, verse 39. He who has found his life will lose it, and he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. If you want to live for your own kingdom and live your own desires, you will lose your life. 
If you lose your life for his sake, you will find it and have everlasting love in the Father. The willingness to give up your life is a true sign of discipleship. To conclude, there's two things that we can apply and we can meditate. Number one, weigh the costs of following Christ. Maybe some of you are hearing this for the first time. Maybe some of you, for the first time, are actually considering, wow, this is, this is tough. This is, this is not easy. But guess what? There's nothing better in this world than to call out to Jesus to save us from our sins. Because a life with Jesus is a thousand times, a million times, infinity times better than a life without Him. And it's not the fact that I want to commit to Jesus to not go to hell. The fact that I want to commit to Jesus because the Savior saved me from my sin. All of us are sinners in need of a Savior. There is none righteous, not even one. We cannot save ourselves. The Bible says that for all sin and fall short of the glory of God. But the good news is, the gospel is that if you bow your knee to Jesus... If you confess with your mouth that He is Lord, that He raised from the dead. If you confess with your mouth and ask Him to save you from your condition. He is willing and able to forgive you. The Bible says, believe. And also repent from your sins. And you will have eternal life. Second conclusion. Be encouraged if you're in Christ. Because guess what? He's going to give you the strength to persevere in all areas of your life. Including if one day it would come to persecution. Do not worry about what to say on that day. The Holy Spirit will help you. The fact that we can have security in God. The fact that we don't have to worry about if we lose our salvation or not. Because if you're saved, you're saved and you cannot lose your salvation. You can't lose it. Once you're saved, you're saved. You're His. You're His forever. That's what we believe here in the Bible. And that's what's the biblical view of salvation. What a, what a gracious God that He gives us these commandments. He gives us what it means to be a disciple. But He also gives us the strength and the power to do so, to live it out through the power of the Holy Spirit that indwells in you if you are a believer. So we should praise God. And thank Him that we're one of His. Because of whatever the world can throw at us, guess what? It's all momentary. I'd rather fear the one who controls my soul than the one that can just kill me. Spending eternity with Jesus is way better than living my own life and being the king of my own life. Bow your knee to Jesus. And He's, and he's willing enough to save. And not only save you, but love you and call you son. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we give you thanks for your word. We give you thanks for this encouragement, God. We give you thanks for, even though that these words were written to your, your apostles, you were saying these to your apostles. These are their universal principles that we can apply to our lives today. And we pray, Father, that you help us understand all these deep truths of your word, that you help us know, God, 
what it is to be a follower of Christ. Father, we repent from our sins. We're sorry for every time we don't want to make you or when you're not Lord over our lives in every moment. But we want to satisfy our own desires and our own kingdom and our selfishness, God. We're sorry for doubting your sovereignty. We're sorry for doubting your power over our lives. I pray, God, that we can understand the commission that you have for us, that you give us strength to not deny you before men, and that we can be worthy before you, God. It is our prayer that we can pray and read your word and be sanctified by it daily, that we can be followers that are worthy of you, God. We love you with all our hearts. It is in your name we pray. Amen. Amen.